Well, throughout this Advent season, we've been looking at familiar Christmas hymns um, that we've been uh, working through, famous hymns, theologically packed hymns. And who can remember the hymns we've been looking at? Yes, Stephanie, which one? O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We've looked at Park the Herald Angel Scene. We've seen Joy to the World. And today we look at O Come, All Ye Faithful. Hymn number 249, as we've been doing, we've taken our hymnal in one hand, we've taken our Bible in the other, and used the themes of the, the hymn to uh, just open the Scriptures for us this morning. O Come, All Ye Faithful, by the way, is one of the most popular hymns uh, of all the hymns that we sing at Christmas time. It's been translated in well over 100 languages. Uh, one website I read said 125 languages. That means this hymn is sung all over the world. It's been translated into English, from the Latin. In fact, that's what we have in English translations. The original Latin title is Adeste Fidelas, which means more like, like come and be our present, O oh, oh, faithful ones, faithful ones, come and be present. In fact, if you take your hymnal and look down at the, the bottom left of the hymnal, you'll, you'll see this, is that it says that the text was a Latin hymn ascribed to John Francis Wade. Now, we know very little about John Francis Wade, he wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a theologian. He was a, a music teacher in the 1700s who happened to write church music. And in fact, we aren't even sure that exactly that he wrote this hymn. There are some who argue that uh, it has its origin in Portugal. Um, but they can't argue with the fact that this was first published in a, in a, a group of collection of hymns that, that John um, Francis Wade put together in 1751. So probably he was the writer, he was the, the author of this. We don't know much about him, so I'm not going to speak much about him, but enough to say that this hymn is, is a lot different than all the other hymns we've studied thus far. I mean, this hymn is a, is a bit less theologically robust than all the hymns that we've been looking at. In fact, think about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, how, how robust and deep and rich that was. It just worked through the various names of Christ as it pleaded for the Lord to come. O Come, Emmanuel, God with us. O come day spring, right? When the, when the dawn shines, he is the beginning of light. O come wisdom. O come desire of nations, the one that all the nations desire. Come. The second hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, speaks about the, the joy of heaven at the incarnation of Christ and, and, and use some, um, some imagery that's talking about the coming of, of Jesus, the, the newborn king, the offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh is this incarnate deity. Just rich theology that speaks about the, the glories of Christ. So the third hymn, Joy to the World. It's a loose paraphrase we saw last week from Psalm 98. It was rich indeed. It speaks about God coming to earth and, and reversing the curse as He came to reign and in return all creation then would sing His praise. Now as we come this morning, it's different. Very little by way of theological insight into the birth of Christ. Now, here, here, I'm stretching to see what we have. We have Bethlehem. It's mentioned there at the, the first stanza. Jesus is called the, the King of Angels. Stanza 3 speaks about the Word of our Father. Right? Allusions to John chapter 1. It speaks about in flesh appearing now. But other than that, the text here is very light on theology. Instead, it aims at response. It aims at your heart. Which, which I'm thinking, you know what? That's not such a bad way to end four Sundays in looking at the hymns that this last Sunday would be, where's your heart? 
Is your heart there? This is, this hymn is, a, a call to worship Jesus. In fact, look there at the, the stanza. Four times this word come comes there. O come, all ye faithful. O come, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold Him. That's four times that first stanza alone. And, and even in the refrain, you, you add there, O come, let us adore Him. O come, let us adore Him. O come, let us adore Him. Three more times. Seven times the invitation just to come and to worship Him. Come and adore Him. In fact, my outline this morning has two points. Come and adore. Come and adore. So what the hymn is calling us to do. It's calling us to come to Jesus. It's calling us to adore Jesus. In fact, let's, let's just sing that first stanza together. We've always sung a, one of the stanzas of the hymn together. So let's, let's sing it together. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold Him, born the King of angels. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Christ the Lord. And there's the hymn. Coming to Jesus with a heart that wants to adore Him. It's the invitation to all of us here this morning. Not a lot of theology, but a lot of heart. Now, now to be fair to the hymn writer, the second stanza of this hymn is left out of our hymnal. It's left out of most hymnals, by the way, which is just packed with theology. In fact, I want to put it on the screen if we can do that here, Rachel. (laughs) True God of true God, light from light eternal. Lo, He shuns not the virgin womb. Virgin's womb, son of the father, begotten, not created. That language, I'm not sure if you recognized it. It comes almost straight from the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed came about in the early fourth century. It was at, it came about the the first ecumenical council. So I want to give you a little, little context of these words and where they came from. If you remember your church history, the church at its inauguration faced some intense persecution in the early days from the Jews and from the Romans. All you do is read the book of Acts and you read that shortly after the day of Pentecost, when thousands believe, Peter and John are out preaching and the Pharisees and Sadducees come in and say, hey, you've got to stop preaching. And they threw them in prison and they told them to not stop preaching. They went out, they preached some more, and then they whipped them and they scourged them for preaching Jesus. Soon after, in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 12, you find James being put to death with a sword, possibly beheaded. Or somehow just killed with a sword. Anyway, Paul, almost everywhere he went with the gospel, he was opposed by the Jews. He went to city after city. He'd go to the city, go to the Jews. They'd reject him. He'd go to the Gentiles. The Jews didn't like that he was going to the Gentiles. They'd kick him out of the city several times. <coughs> kicked out of the city. In fact, even it was Corinth where he didn't get kicked out of the city. Paul, he had to have a direct divine intervention where God says, don't fear, Paul. They're not going to touch you. You can stay here. I've got many people in that city. So he was there for 18 months. He received five times, 39 lashes. He was beaten with rods on three occasions. Once he was even stoned and left for dead. City of Derby. 
Such persecution, which started in the early church, only continued on in the Roman Empire for the next several hundred years. At times it was minimal and localized, and at times it was widespread across all the Roman Empire and all who would claim the name of Christ. And finally, relief came in 311 A.D. with the Edict of Toleration. When Galerius issued this, this edict that says we are done persecuting Christians. And the reason is because through deeds of love and mercy, they had persuaded many in the Roman Empire to become Christians. And so as the Christians were coming more and more, they weren't this is minority sect anymore. And it meant, so think about this, persecution, persecution, you're on the run, you're, you're running, you're trying to you know, live for your life, you're meeting in catacombs, you're, you're meeting in homes secretly. But for the first time with the Edict of Toleration, Christians were able to unite across the whole empire and openly acknowledge their faith. For 200 years they met in pockets, but now they could gather and wrestle through the, the beliefs of the faith. And questions started coming up in the 300s and 400s and 500s, like, like which books of the Bible should be in the canon? Because before then, just, you know, they, they didn't have a unified canon. Just people were out using the Scriptures, and uh, then basically they acknowledged the Scriptures that were stirring people's hearts, that were true and authentic, that rung true in the hearts. They identified the Scriptures it would be in the canon. It, but big questions about Jesus. Now, who was he? What sort of being was he? What was his nature? Was he God? Was he man? Was he an angelic? What exactly was he? What about the Holy Spirit? How does the Holy Spirit fit in there? The, the whole formulation of the Trinity came about through these ecumenical councils. But until the persecution ended, they didn't have opportunity to get together. But then the first ecumenical council was called 325 AD by Constantine, who had converted to Christianity. And he was open to Christ and his, uh, his claims, professed belief. And as he is the Roman, Empire, Roman emperor and he sees this church, he's concerned about the division. And there was a huge division in the church at that time. One group said that Jesus was fully God of the same nature as the Father. Another group said that Jesus was divine, a created being, however, and not coessential with the Father. And that first group was led by a man named Athanasius who's basically on, on our side. He believed everything what we believed about the nature of Christ. The leader on the second group was Arius. He believed what modern day uh, Jehovah Witnesses believe, that Jesus was divine, the first created being. See, there's nothing new under the sun. If you had a Jehovah Witness, just do some church history and you can figure out how the church rejected the Arian view of Christ. But there's a debate in the early church. Which is right? Which is true according to Scripture? And Constantine wanted all the letter, leaders to get together and he sponsored this ecumenical council, gathered a bunch of church leaders from all around the world in 325 and they gathered together and they talked and they debated and they prayed and they worked hard to discern the meaning of the Scriptures and then they wrote this. Here's the Nicene Creed. If you grew up, some of you in a more liturgical church, maybe you recognize these words. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is, of the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, both in heaven and on earth. And churches throughout the centuries for almost 2,000 years have been saying those same words. And you can hardly miss the point of what they were trying to do there at the Council of Nicaea. Over and over and over again, they're trying to pound this idea of Jesus' equality with the Father. I mean, again, I read some of these phrases from the, the Nicene Creed. And as I read, oh, I want to get back to that other slide. <laughs> can you do that, Rachel? As I read this, I want you to think about 
the second stanza that is in the hymn, but is not in our, our hymnal. The Nicene Creed says this, The essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, or you might say true God of true God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. Just over and over again, just nailing this fact that Jesus is co-equal with God the Father. And that was a huge issue then. And by the way, it is a huge issue today. Was Jesus merely a man who obtained some level of sanctification? Did his baptism raise him up to be some, some created, special, sanctified being? Or was he an angel? Was he Michael, the archangel? Was he another being just slightly less than, than God, but higher than the angels? Or was Jesus Christ, Lord of lords, coming to the flesh? And obviously the answer, so Nicene Creed says the church has always said, is Jesus Christ is a Lord of lords coming to the flesh. And the missing second stanza affirms this, right? True God of true God. Light from light eternal. Lo, He shuns not the virgin's womb. Son of the Father, begotten, not created. In fact, I'm not sure you've ever sung that stanza before. Let's sing that together. True God of true God. Light from light eternal. Lo, He shines not the virgin's womb. Son of the Father, begotten, not created. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. Now, that puts some theological meat on this hymn, right? True God of true God, the God of gods, who comes into the womb of a virgin. He shuns not the virgin's womb. He dwells among us as a man. And rather than being received as a king, he's crucified as a criminal, dying upon a cross. But the good news is this, though, that, that Jesus who died on the cross died for our sins, that we might have eternal life with him. We simply need to repent of our sins, believe and trust in Jesus, as that song saying, right? All our hope is in you and place all of our hope in Jesus Christ. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's the promise of Scripture. Believing in your heart. God raised Him from the dead. Confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And and so if you've never done that, if if that's not where you are, I invite you today to confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord. Jesus, God of God, true God of true God, begotten, not created. Say, He is the Lord of the universe. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. The promise of Scripture is you... You'll be saved. I'm calling you to come. Come and worship Jesus. Come and adore the God-man. You know, yesterday, Phil alluded to it in his prayer, is that uh, we had an outreach event at uh, Cherryville Mall. And um, uh, I went there to support Ryan McDowell and his efforts. And Tom, you were there. And uh, Ryan was sick yesterday, by the way. It was too bad. He, he told me 
uh, recently. He said, if I could do this all day, every day, I would do this. Just out talking about Jesus evangelistically. Tom was there. Phil, you were there for a little bit. Um, Dan King kind of did a much of that. Chuck Dean was there. Chuck, are you here today? Wherever he is. Who knows? Where is he, Rachel? He's sick today. Just like me. I'm kind of sick today, too. So anyway, I, I went out there uh, last night and uh, was out there for about an hour and a half. And Dan King was just, just there handing out a bunch of uh, flyers. In fact, Ellie was there, too. In fact, she's the queen of handing out tracts, right? There's something about a sweet lady, young lady. People will take things from her. They won't take things from a, from a guy, right? So I'm going to tell you how many you handed out, Ellie. Any idea how many you handed out? Okay. How about you personally? You think a thousand? Okay. And so I think over the course of the day, thousands of tracks were handed out. And... Uh, and I, I, I just say that the mall yesterday was absolutely packed, the Saturday before Christmas. I mean, when I, when I went there to get a parking spot at the Cherryville Mall, I mean, I was, I was parking way out on the outer, outer side and then walking in. Difficult to find a parking spot. I say it's one of the easiest outreaches you could have. I mean, you stand there, scores of people walking by. You just stand there, and, and here's my strategy. I was there, and I just said, Merry Christmas. And I, and I handed, handed them something. And uh, they said, oh, and half the time they said, oh, Merry Christmas back. And they got it and they'd start reading it and going along. And, and I handed out, I, and I probably handed out uh, close to 100, uh, maybe 70 throughout, throughout my time there. And, but what happens is that is it you hand it out and uh, almost anyone takes them. But periodically someone stops and says, oh, what's that? And I say, oh, it's, it's a tract that talks about Jesus and the Bible. And uh, sometimes I go, oh, okay, and then they go on. But sometimes there's something in people that, that they're interested in, and they stop. And that's where you have opportunity to talk. And so I just think about one guy who was there with his buddy, and I engaged him in conversation. And, and here's what he said. He said, boy, that, that's really funny. This tracks about Jesus in the Bible. I just started reading the Bible a couple days ago or a couple weeks ago. And, in fact, I just went to the first church, first church service I've been. He's about 22 years old. i just been to the first church service I've ever been to, like, in a long time. And uh, so I encouraged him in that, and, and I, I asked him, here's my, my approach. I said, well, do you know, do you know what the, the Bible's about? He said, no. Uh, I said, well, how much do you know about the Bible? He said, well, a lot less than you, is what he said. I said, no, 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 how much do you want to know? Because I want to tell you what the, the story of the Bible is about, if you want to know that. He said, yes, I want to know, and you know what? I don't know anything about the Bible. So just I said, okay, and in my mind, I'm thinking about this guy knows nothing about the Bible. What are you going to say? And I figure, you know, we're kind of standing there. I've got to keep his attention. I can't preach 45 minutes, okay? i, I got about two minutes. So I, I just said, well, here's the Bible. It starts very off in the creation where God creates the world. And, and, then, and then Adam and Eve were in the garden. And they sinned and brought all of humanity into sin and despair. And sin continued to progress in the world. And so God destroyed the world through a flood. But saved Noah and his sons and um, his wife and their, their wives. And then, and then even after that, still the world was going in a terrible mess. And so what God did was God says, I'm going to be gracious to somebody. I'm going to be gracious to Abraham. And Abraham was his chosen one. Out of him came the Jews, this nation that God was going to show his grace to. And, and they had been enslaved in Egypt. And so then that's when Moses took Egypt, took Israel out of Egypt and, and saved them. I said, do you know about Moses? Because I know that new Moses movie came out. I don't even know what the name of it is. A Moses movie came out. He says, yes, yes, I know Moses. He wrote the Ten Commandments, didn't he? I said, yeah. So he didn't know nothing. He knew something. But anyway, I said, yeah, he brought him out. But Israel still continued 
in their sinful ways. And the story of the Bible is all about the Old Testament. It's all about the, the Israelites and how they still rebelled against their creator. They, they sinned against him. They never could get it right. But God in the Old Testament prophets and Daniel, Isaiah and others prophesied of a Messiah that would come. And that Messiah would come to save them and redeem them from their sins. That's Jesus Christ. And that's the whole meaning for Christmas. That's what this, this mall, why it's so crowded, is what I told him. And I said, that is Jesus. God came in the flesh. He was born, but people didn't want him. We hated him. He walked a holy life. People did not want him. And so they ended up crucifying him on a cross. But three days later, he rose from the dead and showed, therefore, that his death was sufficient to atone for our sins. That, that by believing in him, he who knew no sin could become sin for us, that we might be known, made the righteousness of God in him. And that those who repent of their sins and believe and trust in Jesus may have eternal life. But those who don't believe will face an eternal punishment that is horrible than the worst thing you've ever imagined. And so that was about two minutes. I, I told him about that. And, and so he had questions and we talked on for a bit. We probably talked for about 20 minutes or so. And, and uh, I, I sensed that he was really interested. And so I found out he was from DeKalb. And so I gave him my card and I invited him to a church in DeKalb. And uh, just said, you know, if you're really interested in this, why don't you be around people who, uh, who know the Bible, who love the Bible, who can answer your questions about the Bible and who are seeking to live the Christian life. And, and we kind of talked about this. At one point, his, his buddy here asked the conversation, so what do you need to do? <laughs> That's what he said. So I said, well, you confess your sin, right? Turn from your sin and cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus for mercy. And he'll change you. He'll make you different and he'll give you godly desires. And, and then, then you'll live differently. Not, not, not in order to please God, but because out of response for everything that he has, he has done for your life. And essentially think about what was I telling him to do? I was telling him to come to Jesus, wasn't I? Well, what do I have to do? Well, you've got to come to Jesus, Right? You've got to deal with your sin. And by the way, these people, these guys were very, uh, very aware of their sin. And uh, so didn't have to try. They, they knew they were sinners to the core. In fact, one guy even says, yeah, I just sinned right now. Like, they knew that they were sinners. Um, I said, come to Jesus. He's your only hope. And all I can do is pray that uh, he maybe took my advice and went to church this Sunday. So I'll find out this afternoon if, if he did. But getting under him this morning, the, the call here is to come. But the call here isn't for sinners to come to Jesus. The call is for the faithful to come and worship. Look again at the first stanza. O come, all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. This is a call to the faithful and the joyful and the triumphant. And, and, and you, know, you might be saying, well, well, why do we need to come to Jesus? We need to come to Jesus a lot. In fact, this call is throughout all the scriptures, particularly in the Psalms. Psalm 95. O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. And let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Let us come before God to worship him. Or come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. Psalm 95, verse 6. Psalm 96, verse 8, Ascribe to the Lord the, the glory of His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Come, believer. Come and worship God. Psalm 100, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Uh, all, all these in the Scriptures are just calls to come to God and to worship Him. And that's what our hymn is about. O come, all ye faithful. Oh, oh, come, come to Bethlehem, come and behold him, born the king of angels. 
Come and adore him. Come and adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. And really the question, this hymn, the scriptures beg to us, are you coming? Is this, is this your life that you, that you continually come to Jesus? You say, how do you do that? Well, prayer is how we come to Jesus. He's not here right now. Even Peter says in 1 Peter 1, we, we don't see him now, but we believe in him. We rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible and full of glory. Right? Obtaining us the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. As we, we just look to Jesus and believe and trust in him. We pray. The, the way has been paved to pray. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have such a great, great high priest who has taken a seat at the right hand of the majesty in the heavens... Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And the idea that those, those verses is this, that Jesus Christ is our, our great high priest who has paved the way. And, and he's not some far off aloof God because he's come and lived among us. The, the incarnation is crucial because he's come to see us. He, he understands the temptation. He understands the depth of temptation. In fact, Jesus understands it more deeply than anybody. And therefore, we can go to Jesus because he's awaiting. He's awaiting us to come, waiting to dispense grace and mercy for our souls. In fact, the Bible calls us to pray without ceasing. That ought to be our life, right? To, to come, to constantly pray to God without ceasing, constantly worshiping Him, constantly pleading with Him for grace and mercy, continually communing with Him, continually praying with Him. That's what the call of this hymn is, right? The, the, the faithful, joyful, and triumphant come and worship, worship Christ. Now, in this hymn, we are taken back to the night when Jesus was born, right? Look, look at the first stanza. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. <clears throat> We're summoned to go to Bethlehem to join the shepherd. So take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. We've read these scriptures a lot. We'll continue to read them. By the way, have a Christmas Eve service at 3 o'clock. Trust if you can come, you'll, you'll come. It'll be a good time just to reflect upon, upon Christ. A lot of scripture reading. message will be shorter. We'll be done in an hour, in and out in an hour. If you've got other places to go, it'll be a great time to, to rally your family. But... Luke 2 will certainly be read. Let's pick it up in verse 8. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David... There's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And when the angel had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they'd seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered 
at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Now, Sam is calling us to go to Bethlehem. And of course, we can't go to Bethlehem. today. Well, you know, you can go to Bethlehem today. In fact, if you wanted, if you really wanted to, you could spend a couple thousand dollars and go to Bethlehem right now and in the short time frame even and worship God Christmas Eve at Bethlehem. Many Christians make that pilgrimage every year <coughs> to be at the place in the city where God visited the virgin's womb during the very day that we celebrate His coming. It's, it's really it's a, it's a special time for many people who go there. It would be a touching time to be there in Bethlehem. It really would be. But think about it. If you go to Bethlehem today, Jesus isn't there. Well, He's there, but He's there as much as He is here. Right? Jesus is in heaven. We can come to God anytime, in any place. But this hymn, of course, using poetic language, calling us to metaphorically right, join the shepherds who were summoned to Bethlehem on that night some 2,000 years ago. When they, they're out simply shepherding their flocks, as they did every night. And then, as Luke 2 speaks about, these, these angels came. And, and in fact, I was trying to think about how, how can we grasp this? The, what, what, what would happen to the, the shepherds, right? If we need to come to Bethlehem as the shepherds did. And, um, you know, I've got a short little video, about a two-minute video, in which a, a guy kind of plays like a, like a shepherd. And um, it, might be, it might be interesting for us to watch. So can we play that, that video? It was a night like any other night, except for that angel. Ain't seen nothing like it before or since. Us shepherds, we don't get a lot of excitement out there in the pasture. But that angel, it was so bright, so beautiful. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Sam, you've been out in that pasture just a little bit too long. And you'd be correct. But that all changed when that angel came right up to us. And the angel said, don't be afraid. I was like, too late. And then the angel said, no, I wrote it down. I need to get this right. Hold on. Um, okay. The angel said, um, milk, bread. No, that's my grocery list. Then the angel said, I have good news of a great joy that shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And then the angel said, he's lying in a manger, wrapped in cloth. Go find him. Okie dokie. So we're all sitting around, and then one of the shepherds, I think it was Steve, he's like, hey, what are we doing? Let's get out of here. Let's go to Bethlehem. So we hightailed it out of there, and we found that beautiful baby. I'll tell you, I was a different man after that. God chose me. Nobody's ever chosen me for anything. I'll never forget what that angel said, though. The angel said, I bring good news to all people. That means you, too.
I think that video captures it. See, the shepherd were the shepherds weren't educated folk. He kind of talked in a twang, said like "okie dokie," you know, dressed in simple clothes. The workmen, simple country workers, all they were, spent their nights away from the village in their sleep. But God in His grace chose them to to be the first to see the Christ. And indeed, they saw everything that the angel had told them. They, they went and they found Mary. They found Mary. They found Joseph. How they found him, I don't know. Bethlehem's not a large town, so it's probably pretty easy. They just needed to knock around and just say, well, <coughs> was someone giving birth? And yeah, yeah, this guy, we didn't have room here, so we sent him out here. We sent him along and finally found where they were. And they found that, that manger, exactly like the angels said. And then they, they saw the cloths and then they, they saw the baby. They told Mary and Joseph all that they'd experienced. In fact, that's what Luke verse 17 says. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. Having come, they adored. That's really my second point, right? Come and adore. The angel told them to go. Verse 15, they began saying, go straight. right, Come to Bethlehem. And that's our call there, is to come and adore. In fact, I think that there are some, some verses here that speak about the adoring of this child. Look at verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at the things they were being told by the shepherds. That is right. They, they marveled at it. They, they thought about the things. Because they, they were here in the town. They weren't out there. And they, the, the shepherds come, come rolling in and they say, <coughs> we've seen this vision. And this has happened exactly like the vision said, with, with the Mary and Joseph and the, the manger even, and the child and wrapped in claws, and there he is. And they were all marveling at it. They were, they were wondering. And so you, you think about even this word adore. Uh, adore is a little bit different than worship. I mean, worship is just kind of, yeah, we praise and worship God. But adore has this, this love aspect to it, this inquisitive aspect that, that in wonder and awe, like, like pursues even in a greater way, right? If, if people adore some kind of rock fan or some, some movie star, what do they do? They, they, they love them and they worship them and they, they want to find out more and so they read everything they can. There's this inquisitive marvel and mystique about this character. That's what adoring is calling us to. It has the idea of worship, but it's this love, it's this searching, being amazed and wonder and all. And all who were there that night in Bethlehem were, were doing all of this. And even Mary, look at verse 19. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And again, I think the idea of pondering, thinking, marveling at what God is doing, just, just adoring this baby and, and the, all of the events. And, and I'm sure that, that everybody didn't understand what's going on at this time. I'm sure that Mary didn't even understand everything that's going on at this time. I mean, think about the disciples when they walked and talked with Jesus in this, this life. They were with him for three years. And yet still, when he was crucified, raised from the dead, they didn't understand. Right? They, they, they wanted to be kings in the kingdom. And, and Jesus even says, no, no, you don't understand. You need to be baptized with this baptism you're going to be baptized with. But afterwards, when they had time to reflect, and they had time to digest it all, and, and they're, they're filtering the, the things that they experienced through the Scriptures, and the Holy Spirit gave them illumination. Like, like I think about the men on the road to Emmaus, right? So they're going along. It was, it was kind of, God was opening their heart and opening their minds to see and understand what really was taking place with Jesus and what took place and how they, they missed it. And I think Mary is the same way. 
any birth is a whirlwind. All five of our births, right, Yvonne, were a whirlwind. Just kind of like <coughs> you're at home and then, and then you're at the hospital. and you, have, you know, things are going on. All of a sudden, then it's about 24 hours later and you're just, we have a baby. Think about Mary, though. She's visited by an angel. It's like, whoa. Told that she's going to have a baby. Yet being a virgin. And then Joseph was ready to divorce her. But then another angelic vision comes. And he's trying to process their angelic vision they're seeing. And then there's this call for a census. And betrothal is essentially marriage. And so Mary and Joseph go down to Bethlehem, probably somewhat on the, just a, on the spur of the moment, in some regards, they didn't have planned this for a long time. There was a census, as I said, okay, well, we got to go. <coughs> so they went and they made that trip down. All of a sudden, there's birth pangs. I think they're just entering the city. They, they need a place to stay. They weren't staying anyplace. There's birth pangs. And they're trying to find a place, and they find a place. And all of a sudden, there's this boy. And just as, as they are contemplating this, then these shepherds are coming in and telling about this angelic visit that they had, what they saw in the fields and what they're seeing there. And, and and I'm sure it was too much for Mary to fully understand, but she's just putting them in her heart. Just kind of saying, okay, I'm just trying to grasp all this. And, and, and I'm thinking about, can you imagine when Mary then even maybe the next year gets to uh, Isaiah 7 in her Bible reading and reads, Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. She's like, I'm that virgin. Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is, is God with us. And, and as, as Jesus grew up, there was more and more that, that Mary knew that this child was special. Remember the wedding at Cana? They ran out of wine. And, and Mary said to Jesus, hey, they've run out of wine. And Jesus like, so what? And then he goes to the service. She goes to the service and says, do whatever he tells you. And that was the beginning of his signs, the first sign, John chapter 2. You can read about it there. And just, just seeing and, and, and folding and, and things come. And, and these were things in her heart that she pondered, that she had experienced. That was 30 years later. <coughs> Certainly understood that. But even things were piled up here at her birth. But just even when Jesus was presented in the temple. Right, look down there. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was looking and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to carry out from the custom of the law, then he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of the peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this Christ is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the ends that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So that was just eight days after his birth. And I'm sure that these words came to Mary's mind later when she's at the foot of the cross looking up at, at Jesus and realizing, as verse 34 says, that he was appointed for the fall and rising of many and he was for a sign to be opposed. And she's like, yep, he was, he was opposed. He was a special Messiah child who was opposed. 
And even John 2, verse 35, a sword will pierce even your own soul. And no mother can watch her child die without great grief to her own soul. But his death, right, served a greater purpose. Through his death, we can come to God. And that's what Christmas is all about. That what began in the manger ends the cross. God coming and visiting us to die for our sins, to making us righteous. And that's where we can then praise God. We can praise and worship Him. That's what's what happening here in the Luke 2 narrative with the, the angels. Look back at Luke 2, verse 14. As the angels were there, they were giving glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom He is pleased. The shepherds were praising God. Look at verse 20. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard, just as had been told them. As we think about going to Bethlehem, as we think about those instances of the first century, what, what took place in the life of Jesus, we, we're called to adore Him. We're called to sing His praises. And that really is the, the second and third stanza of this hymn. Sing choirs of angels. Sing in exaltation. Again, a reference back to, to Luke chapter 2 when the, the angels were there proclaiming the praise of God. Oh, sing, all ye citizens of heaven above, as the, the welkin rings forth the praise of God. Glory to God, all glory in the highest. And then the affirmation, stanza 3. Yea, Lord, we greet Thee. Born this happy morning, Jesus, to Thee be glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. O come, let us adore Him. See, when, when we see Jesus, when we understand Jesus of the manger, it should draw us to worship and praise Him. Do you remember the Magi? When they came from Persia, probably from the east someplace, and they came and uh, they followed the star and they came to see Jesus. you remember what, what they said to uh, Herod? They said, uh, where is this King of the Jews? For we saw His star in the east and we have come to worship Him. They've come to worship this King who was born. That, 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 is, that is the right response. And so, of course, when, the, when the, the kings and the wise men came, these magi came to Jesus, they bowed down, they worshipped Him. They gave Him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's an expression of their, their worship to God. And so really, that's what this hymn is calling us to do. It's calling us to worship Jesus this Christmas season. Worship this baby who is the Lord of lords, God of very God, light of light, come in to save us from our sins. And so the simple question, right? Are, are you adoring Jesus? Are you adoring Jesus? Are you just mouthing words? Or is, there, is there an affection in your heart that is, is loving Him and worshiping Him?